In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in our Thank you. Of course, I congratulate you and greet you and bless you on this second Sunday of Great Lent. We're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. There's still some work to be done. We've had beautiful Lenten services so far. The divine liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts is not to be missed during the week. So I encourage you all to come if you can. The last two times that we had that beautiful service, had this profound sense, you know, when Jesus said, when you pray like this, go into the closet and pray. Not drawing attention, attention to yourself. And it feels like it's a moment when we as a community um, get to enter into the closet to pray together. There's such a, a sense of reverence and holiness the miracle takes place on Sunday, the miracle of the, the Holy Mysteries, when the body and blood of Christ become, when the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. But the church and her wisdom has even withheld from us the practice of serving the divine liturgy, the greatest miracle on earth, the divine liturgy. Decided to withhold that from us during the weeks of Great Lent, I think, so that we could not claim it as our own, but so that we don't go without consolation and without the greatest gift. We save some of it from Sunday, some of the Holy Communion, and we get to distribute it during the week. This is the nourishment that we need. The nourishment that we need, the knowledge that we need, the wisdom and the truth and the power that we need, is always that of Jesus Christ. The more you long for Him, the more you find Him. I've been having many wonderful conversations with people, spiritual conversations about their struggle in prayer, with the sins and passions of life. And one profound realization I keep coming back to is that Something very wonderful happens when you simply realize you, you just you want God. You desire God. You desire to be with Him. It almost comes to be enough just to desire to be with Him and to draw and then to see that in some way you do have the ability to draw near and to be touched by Him in the church and that every breath is a grace and a gift from Him. These are some of the thoughts that have come from the last couple of weeks during the season of Great Lent and I encourage you, of course, to continue to enter in in as much as you're able, able to take this season very seriously. But I, I, want, I, I want you to take this season seriously but but also you can approach it with a manner of simplicity. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. 
On the second Sunday of Great Lent, we commemorate our Holy Father, Gregory Palamas, a 14th century saint, whose readings, or writings, if you read them, are sometimes are, are very difficult to understand because they come across, excuse me, they come across as quite technical, unless you read his homilies. His homilies are quite accessible. We commemorate him on the second Sunday of Great Lent because it's almost looked at as a, a second triumph of orthodoxy. Controversy has always arisen in the church. And he was a defender of Christianity against, to keep it simple, I might say, against rationalism. Many of the heresies that have arisen in the church have arisen from people trying to make sense of the revelation of God, trying to articulate the mystery of God's self-revelation according to human understanding, which just cannot be done according to human logic. What is the source of all of our belief in our theology? The revelation of God to man. And the revelation of God to man is always His coming down, breaking through from outside of time and outside of space and reaching down and revealing Himself to us. And therefore, we cannot claim any knowledge or understanding in and of ourselves. Revelation is the foundation of anything that we claim to believe. We haven't deserved to receive anything from Him, yet He teaches us, and to use the words of the Holy Prophet Isaiah, quoted by Christ in the Gospel of John, then our desire is to become those who are taught by God. Theodidacti. From the words theos, and have you ever heard the word didactic? Like teaching those? Theodidacti. That's the plural. Those who are taught by God. But a seed can't be planted in hard, barren soil or soil where many things are already growing. There has to be simple, soft soil where the seed of the knowledge, the wisdom and the experience of life in God can be planted. We're getting back to that theme of humility once again. Humbling ourselves before God. Realizing I have nothing but this vulnerable, simple soil of my life. How can I keep it simple? How can I keep it fer fertile? So many ways. But one of the ways I want to talk about is through. I like using the Sunday of St. Gregory Palamas to talk about the Jesus prayer. Through the use of the Jesus prayer. Simple a simple prayer that has incredible power. And the point I want to make today is that deep ab abiding and constant prayer is not only the lot of those special Christians, like the monastics or the priests who, who get paid to pray and do services. Anyone who's particularly spiritual, but it's for all Christians. Deep and abiding prayer is the lot of all Christians. And I would like to posit that 
for all the sophistication that we bring to our belief in our theology and our articulations about what we believe and why we believe it. It all goes back to this simple prayer that we hear in various forms throughout the New Testament, often referred to as the prayer of the publican, the prayer of Bartimaeus, the blind man, the prayer of the lepers who called out to Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The prayer was always have mercy on me. And we commonly practice this prayer that we call the Jesus prayer, or even it's so well known that sometimes it's just called the prayer in the church. The prayer. Say the prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The path to constancy in prayer, I believe, begins with simplicity. I want to tell you two little stories today to help make this point. There's a Russian folk tale about a bishop who was on a boat traveling across the ocean, I think visiting, going from one monastery to another. Remember, this is a folk tale, but it's proving a point. And he sees some people on the boat looking out over the, the bow, pointing in the direction, and he walks over and says, I'm, I'm over here to see what you're talking about. And they said, well, over there there's a little island where three hermits live who are working out their salvation. Where? Over there. I don't, I don't see it. See that little glisten on the horizon and there's a little dot over... That's the island. Huh, I still don't see it. But I would love to meet these hermits. So he goes and talks to the captain and he goes, Do you know about this island with these hermits? And he goes, Yeah, don't listen to anything anyone says. The guys are crazy. And he goes, Well, what's the name of the island? There's so many islands out here that it doesn't have a name. Can we go swing by the island so that I could at least see them? Well, we can't get the boat very close. Get as close as we can. Maybe someone can row me over in the the rowboat. Okay. I'll compensate compensate you for it. Okay. Fine. So they detour over to the little island. The bishop... There's a, there's a funny note in the story about they set a chair in the bow of the boat with the bishop sitting in the front. <laughs> like on a, a man on a mission. And uh, they row him up to the shore. He gets out. and As they're getting close, he actually sees three old men holding hands on the shore, waiting for his, their visitors. A tall one. One that's hunched over with a crook in his back and a short one. Anyway, they get up to the shore. All the little details are just fun, but not really necessary. But he greets them. Men of God who are working out your salvation, tell me, how do you pray? He said, well, one of them says, we pray like this. Three are ye, so are we. Have mercy on us. And then the other two all together say, Three are ye, so are we. Have mercy on us. And the bishop goes, Hmm. Well, I see you have some conception of the Holy Trinity, but this, this prayer is, this isn't quite right. Let me teach you how to pray. When you pray, this is what the Lord taught us to do. Pray like this. 
Our Father. Is it our Father? Got it? Our Father. One of them had such a big mustache that he couldn't pronounce. He was having a hard time pronouncing the words. Let's try it a little harder. Our Father. He spent all day. Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven. Who art in heaven. Until not only just one of them could remember, but all three could say Our Father together. He said, okay, finally, the bishop with a sense of satisfaction, this is how you should pray. With a sense of accomplishment, he embraced them, got on the, the little boat and went back to the larger boat. And they started their way to their next destination. And the people who were on the boat went to their, it was nighttime then, and they went to sleep and the bishop is out there walking around the deck and he sees something moving on the water. What is that? That's not a boat. It's moving too quickly. What could it be? And then he sees it's the three men running across the water up to the boat. They get up to the boat and they say, Your grace We could remember the prayer you taught us as long as we were saying it, but as soon as we stopped saying it, we forgot it. We're so sorry. And he goes, forget about it. Just go back and pray the way that you were praying before. It's fine. We're called to be like children, you know, in our love and simplicity in our prayer for God. I'm not saying that you're going to walk on water by saying the Jesus prayer. I will say that it'll feel like you can sometimes. When, when your life becomes simpler and far less complicated, we have a, a way of having a little too much fun entertaining ourselves with complicating things. There's this... Story from the life of St. Gregory Palamas also that I'll just share. It's not too long. He taught people how to pray and he taught not only monastics, but people in the world. And so when the saint was living, St. Gregory was living in the world, he remained enclosed in prayer for the weekdays and he would go out on Saturday and Sunday to celebrate the liturgy and to instruct others. And on one occasion, he was speaking to the Christians and advising them to pray without ceasing. Citing the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the whole church, pray without ceasing. And the words of the prophet David, who was also a king, I have set the Lord always before me. And he called to mind the words of St. Gregory, the theologian, his namesake. God should be mentioned more, even more than our breath. He's talking to people like you and me about this. At the same time, he said that we must teach this prayer in every way to guide its use, not only to those outside the world and living in solitude, but also men and women and children. All together, among those present at this teaching was an old monk named Job. He was zealous in his way of life, simple in his way, shining in virtue, this Job upright and in all that is good. And he loved St. Gregory very much and came many times to talk with him. But when he heard this teaching about unceasing prayer, he was troubled that everyone should learn and practice unceasing prayer. He began to object, 
saying that this instruction can only be kept by monks and those withdrawn from the world, and not the many people who live in the world. St. Gregory tried to add other teachings about these things as well, but since the old ascetic, the old monastic struggler, was not convinced, he brought the talk to an end, wanting by all means to avoid talkativeness and wrangling. And when the monk went to his cell and was at prayer, God sent a bride angel to him who said, Do not by any means differ with Holy Gregory about what, he was, what was just being discussed between you. After this revelation, the old man went straight back to St. Gregory to tell him what had been revealed and to ask his forgiveness for his insubordination and contradiction. Indeed, when after a short time the hour came for the monk Job to leave this world and breathe his last breath, he thanked God for having deemed him worthy of being a friend and a sharer in conversation with Gregory and having gained great profit from his teaching and from his friendship. So prayer as a means of purifying the heart and illumining us can be practiced by all Christians. It's not only the monk's prerogative, but a gift granted to anyone who longs for this union with God by grace. One of the simplest and proven methods of approaching God in prayer is by saying this, Jesus' prayer repeatedly. We often say the Jesus' prayer using the prayer rope. There's a history behind the use of the prayer rope. Those who lived in the wilderness and spent a lot of time praying, doing handicrafts and praying, would find different ways to try to keep track of their prayers, moving a, pe a pebble from one little bowl to another. But oftentimes they would get distracted by it, or even the demons would swoop in and knock their bowl over. They'd lose track. And so there came to be a way of tying knots in which seven crosses are overlapped to form a knot, which the demons could not untie. And it became the, the most common practical tool. I call it the original fidget. You ever heard about kids talking about fidgets? I need a fidget. The original fidget. Not just to fidget with your hands, but to occupy your mind with prayer. Put it in your hands. Feel. The wool reminds you of the Lamb of God and that we are Christ's rational sheep. The knot reminds you of maybe the complication of life, but also how we're tied up with God. And each one just represents an attempt to repeat the same prayer. And it's not about adding up the number of prayers you say, I said a hundred Jesus prayers. It's, I said one Jesus prayer, repeatedly. I said it one time, over and over again. It's a practical tool in helping us to focus, to fix our mind and body on God. And we take the prayer rope in our hand and we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me on one of the knots. And when my mind wanders, hey, what's the... No, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I need to do some laundry. Not yet. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. There are many emails that I need to respond. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I should have read the second chapter of the Letter of Divine Ascent today. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. My back is itching. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And so on. But you, you bring your mind back 
to this simple focus. When you're, when you're doing something you, you love, you really focus. Have you seen kids playing video games? My goodness. Like, you, you, you can throw things at them and they won't even look at you. When we turn our focus to something that we really care about and that we love, we can do it with depth and with meaning, with intention. And the church sets us up to be able to do that in a very practical way, using the prayer rope. You don't have to, but it's helpful. Sometimes if I have left mine laying somewhere, I use my fingers just to kind of help me focus. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. I like to say it kind of quickly and continuously so as to, because my mind wanders so quickly. But I want to encourage you to, to use this prayer. It's biblical. It's proven through the use. It's use throughout the history of the church. And I would like to encourage every one of you, if you don't use it, if you don't say this prayer daily, then invite it into your life. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Some people, after using the prayer book for a while, they realize that it's time that they're ready for more of a contemplative and focused prayer. And so, after maybe some time, some years of using the prayer book with the written prayers from the various saints, then your prayer time becomes filled with saying some of the introductory prayers like the Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, Trisagion prayers, maybe a psalm or two to warm yourself up a little bit, and then take up the prayer rope and say the Jesus prayer a hundred times maybe to begin with, or maybe for five or ten minutes to begin with. And I'd like to encourage you this week, if, if you can, if you can, you don't have to confess it if you didn't do it, if you don't get around to it, but I just want to encourage you to do this. If you can, Take a, a half an hour to go on a little retreat. A half an hour retreat. Take your prayer rope if you have one. Get a hold of one. Or use your fingers or just say the prayer. Set your, I, sometimes I tell people, set your timer on your phone. Hey Siri, set a timer for 30 minutes. And throw your, then throw your phone across the room. So that you're not looking at it. How much time do I have left? And simply say the prayer. Push every other. Don't give yourself permission to think about anything else. Give yourself permission not to think about anything else. And simply say that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. You can say it out loud. It doesn't have to be super loud. You're not trying to prove anything to anyone. What happens is it goes from the mouth, a prayer of the mouth, outwardly articulated to being mental when your thoughts become a little more controlled, and then the mind has a way of descending into the core of your being, into your heart. That sensation doesn't happen every time, but it happens at times. If you practice it with meaning and with a kind of a forceful intention, a desire to draw near to Christ. So I'm encouraging you to practice this prayer. The prayer rope is not a, a type of jewelry that we wear to, to prove our piety. A, a friend of mine who's now a bishop was serving a service and he was coming in from the vestry after they'd gotten their vestments on and his brother bishop said, 
hey, you forgot your sword. And he said, what? He goes, your prayer rope. Get your sword. This is one of our weapons that we use in fending off the negative thoughts and influences around us. Fighting the kind of warfare that's truly worth fighting daily. This is a practice that has proven effectiveness. To say the name of the God-man, Jesus Christ, to say His name is to invite His presence. It's to express a longing to be with Him and Him alone. It's a deep expression of faith in Him. It's to say, to say the name, Lord Jesus Christ, it's to say, I believe in You. And this kind of simple prayer can, it can frustrate the ego. But when it does, you have to push through. This kind of simple prayer can bore the person who's only praying in order to obtain particular outcomes. For such words are an abandonment of oneself unto God's providence. These kinds of words of the Jesus prayer are an abandonment of one's self and even one's own expectations unto God's providence. This kind of simple prayer calls to mind. Excuse me. This kind of simple prayer calls the mind from the self-satisfying sophistication of the theology we like to talk about, and it has a humbling effect. It allows us to enter into what I like to refer to as empirical theology, the experiential theology of the church. And this is an effect that we all need. So this week, beloved in Christ, just conclude this week, may our perfect, most beautiful and loving Savior, the God-man Jesus Christ, draw us all nearer to himself as we've been blessed to call upon his name with the use of these simple and most profound and effective words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Amen.